Friend, please help Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry by supporting the cost to produce Spirit-Filled Radio and Podcast for this current fiscal year. You can become a partner with Spirit-Filled Hearts by donating monthly. Your contributions make a difference in the lives of all those who listen to our radio shows and podcasts. Thank you for your support. Go to spiritfilledhearts.org and click on the donate button. That's spiritfilledhearts.org. Welcome to the 12th I Thirst follow-up. Today we're talking about baptism. Baptism is the gateway to all of the sacraments. It is the doorway to all of the other ones. And so you can't get confession, you can't have holy matrimony, you can't get ordination unless you're baptized first. And baptism is a magnificent sacrament. It is a pure gift from God. And it is something that we cannot look at as, you know, oh, I just got to get this done for my kid. Or I got to just get this done, you know, to finish it off so that, you know, these check boxes can be checked. You know, we have to really approach baptism with a deep reverence and with such an awe of what's happening. So when we see baptism, we have to see why we have baptism in the first place. In the Garden of Eden, we wouldn't have been baptized. And this is because there was no sin yet. But why is there baptism necessary? It's because we sinned. And Adam and Eve sinned. And thus, the original sin that happened, which was, of course, the taking and disobeying of God by taking the fruit. Here, what that did is this disobedience then caused a disobedience that went throughout everything of the human person. So as soon as we disobeyed God, everything was in perfect order. Everything was beautiful in the Garden of Eden. Then we took the fruit and then now everything is disordered. Everything about our person, our body is disordered, our soul is disordered, and our relationship to God is disordered. Everything is a chaotic mess. That's what happens with sin. And we feel that every time we sin. It always catches up to us eventually too. And so with regards to the original sin, original sin is the first sin. And this is when Adam and Eve, they chose to disobey God even before they bit into the fruit, right? So here the fathers of the church teach us that the original sin was that they thought and chose in their head to take the fruit. And then what happens as a result of that is now their bodies are disordered and their soul also is disordered. The human soul now is messed up and then now the body is messed up because here, as soon as our relationship with God is gone, then everything in us, because everything is relating to God, is going to be messed up too. And so this is why when Adam and Eve have children, then since this disorder is in their body, right, uh, and in their soul, then when they have children, it's passed on through the body. And so here, St. Thomas Aquinas is very clear to see, to say that original sin is passed on through the body. 
And again, this original sin is the disorder that is coming into being, right, when a child is born. So when a baby is born, immediately they have original sin. And this original sin is not an actual sin, right? An actual sin is an action committed. That's why it's called an actual sin. This original sin here that exists in the child. Here, this is the disorder passed down from Adam into the child. And so here, you can easily see this. For example, here, when you talk about original sin, it is a disorder that is manifest that you can easily see, for example, when you have a, a child throwing a temper tantrum. They're not sinning when they do this because they're not even of the age of reason. They're not seven years old yet. You have this three-year-old, you know, or the terrible twos, you know, this two-year-old, and they're just having an absolute meltdown, right? How is that possible? How can they have that absolute meltdown and not sin? It's because things are out of order in their passions, in their emotions. They want that candy. If you don't give them that candy, then there's going to be a complete, you know, atomic bomb. And so here we see disorder in the child already. Where does that come from? In the Garden of Eden, there would have been no temper tantrums. This is a very important thing to realize. And so what sin does, of course, now it's passed on through the body. And now the child knows that one Snickers bar, I guess, is enough. And so they still want another one, right? Because something is wrong in here. Something is disordered there. So that shows you original sin is real. And it's very easy to see original sin. Just as G.K. Chesterton said, look around and you'll see original sin. Very clearly. And so here, what is the remedy to this, right? We have to get back on track. How do we fix this disorder in us? As St. Thomas defines original sin, he says it's the privation of original justice. Privation means you don't have it. And then original justice means the original order that everything was in. So this justice is the perfect order of everything. That's gone now. And so here, how does that get fixed? So God sends his son to die for our sins, to die for us, and to wipe out every sin. And so what happens is that Jesus, of course, he becomes a man for us at Christmas, and then is born at Christmas, uh, then he is growing up, and then eventually he's baptized. Right. So when our Lord is baptized here at this moment, when our Lord's body goes into the River Jordan, then at this point he wills, he chooses to impart into the water the power to absolve or to forgive or to wash away all sin, original and actual. And so at that point, he chooses as the symbol of the sacrament water in order to wash away that original sin. This is very, very important to think about because that's something that should really just blow our mind. That water, which is a physical thing, God gave the power when joined with the words of baptism. That is, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When you 
put those words with the proper application of the water, right? It has to go, it has to be water, not orange juice, right? It has to be poured. And so here, when that goes over the baby's head, right, that water will then wash away, right? It becomes the instrument through which grace comes and the instrument through which the power of God happens. And so it then, that water with the right words of the sacrament will then wash away original sin, and then it will wash away all sins, actual, uh, mortal, and venial. So, for example, if an adult gets baptized, right, their original sin will be washed away. But then they also have uh, actual sins that they committed, both mortal and venial. And so those sins in the adults, if there's an adult baptism, those will be washed away also. So the power of this water is immense, right? Um, here... After the adult is baptized, in the next moment, right, they don't go to confession. It's very important to see that because all the sins are gone. There's nothing to confess. That's the power of baptism. Um, afterwards, of course, they can sin and then they would need to go to confession. But here you have baptism and right afterwards, everything is gone for the adult. That is original sin and every actual sin, that is every mortal sin they ever committed, and then every venial sin that they ever committed, right? Every big and every small sin they committed. And so when that happens, you can really think, and it's not even imagining, that the gates of heaven are opened, that everything is just pouring into that child, like this gushing waterfall that is just pouring all this grace into this baby or this adult. And when that baby, of course, is washed by baptism, there's no actual sin because the baby hasn't done any sins yet. There's only the original sin. And so then, as soon as that's gone, baptism then not only washes away the original sin, but it also adds the grace. So it has a positive effect of giving that sanctifying grace. So it infuses the life of God into that child. So this life of God, right, this sanctifying grace is now in that child. And this is so beautiful because here we have the very life of the Blessed Trinity, right? Pure, perfect, beautiful activity of the Godhead in the child, right? We can't even know what that means, right? Here, this is what St. Teresa of Avila says, if we knew what sanctifying grace is, if we knew what it is that we have in our soul, right? This is like heaven on earth, basically. That's what sanctifying grace is. It's heaven on earth. It is the very life of God in our soul, right? Um, here we see that grace is veiled, however, by our faults and our sins. But if we really know what it is, that treasure is just immeasurable. And so here we need that for the child. They need to get rid of the original sin and then they need that sanctifying grace in their soul. And it really is something that is you know, we really need that today in children. Um, and this is very important that the children have this sanctifying grace right from the beginning. They need that protection. They need that help. You know, if you think about all of this world, you know, there's so many like slimy tentacles that really are reaching for the hearts and the minds of children. And what protection do we have against that? Spiritually speaking, right? It is sanctifying grace. And this is what children need. 
And so not only does the sacrament of baptism give sanctifying grace, then what it also does is it imprints a character on the soul. And so this is the next positive mark that it does. It gives the mark of baptism on the soul. And this is a, an indelible mark. You cannot take it away. Once you've been baptized, this is why you cannot get re-baptized. Because baptism gets that indelible mark, which means you cannot erase it. Which means you can't like start putting more marks on each other, right? Once is all you got. And so what this mark is, of course, is that you've been baptized. And then now you are marked as one who has now the ability to worship God as he wants. And this beautiful mark uh, is that sign on our soul that we are Catholic, that we are going to worship God in the way that he determines, not in some way that we just make up ourselves. And this beautiful mark it is um, something that we will see. You know, for example, we will be able to see it in heaven or in hell. You will see which souls had that mark or have that mark because even in hell, they will have that mark, which will then change into a source of just absolute shame for them because they did not live up to that mark. They did not use that mark. And so here we really see the power of baptism that we are our Lord's, that we have this responsibility to worship him as he wishes. And so baptism is something that should not be delayed. Every child should be baptized according to canon law. So I'm not making this up here, according to canon law in less than two months. This is very important that the baby, you cannot wait five months, six months, seven months, eight months, one year, two years. You cannot do that because you need that sanctifying grace as soon as possible. It should be less than two months. So it shouldn't be months. It should be a month and that's it. Or it can be like three weeks or four weeks or something like this. But it cannot be months because here then there's just no reason why it can't be done. And so here it also shows a lack of understanding and um, just thinking that they really don't need baptism and they can live another day without the life of God in their soul. You know, they can just live their life, um, you know, having original sin and just nothing of God in them. You know, and that's what that means. And we have to really see that just to delay baptism is really something that is very offensive. And actually, as parents, you know, it actually is a sin to do that. We don't really think of it in that terms of think, oh, it's my choice when I want to baptize my baby. Um, here, their immortal soul is something more than your choice or more than our choices, right? Their immortal soul is on the line. And so we really have to see that the delaying of baptism cannot be done. We need baptism. And this is something that we really have to focus on in this world today. That if we say that we don't need spiritual things, if we say, I don't need the rosary, I don't need mass on Sundays, I don't need to pray, I don't need baptism, I don't need confession, right? I don't need any of these spiritual things. Right? What it means is basically, I don't need God's help. I don't need 
anything that he's given me. I don't need any of these things to be happy. I don't need any of these things to get to heaven, right? Which is false because we can't. We need those things to get to heaven. Anytime that we delay these spiritual means, which are so powerful, we are really slapping God in the face and saying, I don't need you. And so we really have to see and reverence the sacraments. We need the Eucharist to function. We need confession to function. We need baptism for our children in order for them to be protected. So let us pray for a deep reverence of baptism. Let us thank God for everything that he has given to us through our baptism and continually be thankful for everything that he has given to us in the glorious sacrament of baptism. Amen. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please consider supporting Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry with a one-time or monthly gift. Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We are only funded by generous donors who believe in our mission to evangelize.